Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Welcome back to the I Believe podcast. This is part two of our enucleation, uh, I guess I'm going to call it the enucleation 101 discussion. Um, this is kind of a, what a, what do you go into enucleation expecting? What are some questions you might be able to ask your doctor? Um, and if you're new to this space and you're looking at having enucleation as your treatment option, hopefully this is an informative discussion between the two, um, the two panels that we've had of patients to just talk about you know, what is it like and what can you expect and what can you request or ask for that might make your experience go better than ours went, um, for any of our, you know, we all have things that like there were ups and downs to all of us. And I think that we all would, would offer some level of advice. So, um, I have with me Julie and Kristen and Lindsay or Lindsay, and they are going to be they're going to be talking in that order usually as I ask them questions. So we're going to go through and they're going to introduce themselves, talk about their story and uh, their just their brief diagnosis story and what led to their enucleation. And then we're going to kind of dive more into the what happened with their enucleation, what kind of aftercare happened, um, just some of those kinds of questions that you guys might have about enucleation. So Julie, talk to us a little about your diagnosis. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it happens to be where you are. Um, my name is Julie LeBlanc. I am from Vicksburg, Mississippi, which is close to Jackson, originally from New Orleans. Um, my Initially, I had a Nevis that was watched since 2007. Um, in 2018, it started to grow. Before that time, it was, it was pretty consistent um, and did not change at all in size. So I had radio, radioactive plaque in October 2018 for a very small tumor that touched my optic nerve. Um, it was small, 1.4 by 6.3, something like that. Um, it was, it then the edges grew slightly, so I had transpupillary thermal therapy in June of 2019, and then the tumor was declared dead. At some point, the, the tumor grew, extended from the original tumor and grew, looks totally different. It was like black translucent looking tumor rather than something that was blue. Um, and it was a regrowth that was larger than the original, uh, two, two millimeters tall by 7.4. And it grew across my optic nerve, not, not just touching my optic nerve, but it kind of extended out from the original one. And that's when the doctor said, he wanted to take my eye. So um, I had a nucleation in September of 2021. Um, my goodness. I asked, okay. him if I, I asked him if I could keep my eyeball. He told me no because I had to biopsy <laughs> it. So cause I wanted to keep it in a jar. So um, that's basically my, my history with the nucleation. So it's been um, a, a little over a year since I've had my eye enucleated. 
Okay. All right, Kristen, um, what led to your diagnosis and I know subsequent misdiagnosis and then eventual enucleation? And actually, can we go back, Julie, who was your doctor? Really fast. Who was your doctor that you saw, your ocular oncologist? Dr. Matthew Wilson in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. And then Kristen, go ahead. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Kristen McDonald. I live in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, My story dates back to the end of 2019 when I experienced some dizzy spells um, and vision loss. Um, I kind of experienced an asymmetrical blackout on the left side when I'd get up from my chair or when I'd change positions in yoga. And after going to the eye doctor, they realized my eye pressure was at um, 50 when it's supposed to be uh, 10 to 20. My right eye was normal. My left eye was a pressure of 50. So I went through a series of eye doctor appointments and it was decided that I might have glaucoma. So we did a surgical tube shunt to relieve the pressure. Um, and when we found out that did not relieve the root cause, um, I began seeing more eye doctors. And a year later in January of 2021, I was diagnosed with melanoma. Um, I was referred immediately to go to Dr. Shields in Philadelphia uh, that next Monday, uh, where she agreed it looked like melanoma and took a biopsy. Um, That same month, I got my nucleation of my left eye. My situation was really particular because of the tube shunt that I had implanted from the glaucoma misdiagnosis. There was a concern that there was a pathway out from the interior of the eye outside that was potentially sending cancer cells um, into the orbit. So a nucleation kind of was my only option. Whoops, I muted myself. Um, that's crazy. And I feel like I've, I've heard you talk about this before and it still always just blows my mind. I'm like, oh, no, no shunts, no shunts. Not a good thing. All right, Lindsay, what about you? Talk to us about timeline, you know, diagnosis to, well, we'll, we'll cover that, but tell us, you know, what led to your diagnosis? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's interesting how many how many people I've talked to with nocular melanoma diagnosis who have had sort of a similar path leading up to diagnosis. Um, things like you know double vision in one eye. Uh, I started to develop this like this shooting star almost like, like a slow motion shooting star across my vision about a year and a half ago after I had COVID for the first time, and I just assumed it was a weird you know, COVID aftermath thing. Um, So I didn't think much of it. And then all of a sudden I developed a shadow across my vision. Like half of my, half of my eye was like a, you know, blackout and the other half of my vision in that eye was fine unless I closed my other eye and then the, the double vision started. So course, you know, I thought optical migraine or something along those lines, something simple, (laughs) something less dramatic than cancer. (laughs) Um, So when I went to see my eye doctor, uh, that was on May 18th. And he took a a retinal scan because I had told him about the, the weird light and I had told him about the, the, you know, the shadow. And he took a retinal scan and thought I had a retinal detachment that was closing in on my macula. So he actually same day transferred me over to an ophthalmologist, um, a retinal specialist uh, who confirmed that I did have a giant tumor, uh, confirmed it was ocular melanoma. And it's funny to think back on, it's funny to think back on those appointments now and just better understand the tone of the room, um, like the energy and the environment um, before the words came out of, out of 
each doctor's mouths. Um, so it's interesting to kind of reflect back on that. But that was May 18th. I had um, a big enough tumor where enucleation was really the best option. And so uh, my enucleation was scheduled two weeks later for June 1st of last year. So 2022. Okay. All right. So now let's get um, kind of into the nitty gritty of, you know, what did enucleation look like for you? And kind of what, let's, let's talk about the timeline because um, in, in the last panel, we found that the timeline was actually drastically different for everybody. And it was kind of astounding to see just how different um, the timeline was. So when you were told the nucleation was the best option or the only option, um, how long from that decision being made to, okay, yes, we're going to have a nucleation to your actual surgery date. Did you have to wait? If you like could roughly estimate, um, Julie, go ahead and go first. Uh, you might be muted. Hold on. There we I, go. I'm good. I think I'm good. Okay. okay. So my diagnosis was when I was going to just a regular six month checkup. Um, I had gone in February of 2022 and then I, I came back in August. So it was in six months. So in February, there was nothing there, but I had noticed some, some uh, like, um, spinning lights. And that was kind of what told me at first the tumor was growing. So I was very concerned about being able to get to that appointment in, in August. So it was August 12th, 2021. Um, and I had my enucleation, um, on the 28th of October. So that's about six weeks, I would think. Okay. Yeah. Roughly six weeks. Um, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. All right. Kristen, what about you? From the time that, I guess, that Dr. Shields told you, let's go from when Dr. Shields told you, yes, you have melanoma, we need to do a nucleation. Yeah, so I had a little over a week to prepare for losing my eye. When I met with Dr. Shields, she prepared me for the nucleation and to come back out to Philly. Her scheduler had told me that the next week, Dr. Shields is completely booked with the nucleations, but the following week she had an opening. And I remember jumping at the opportunity to hold that date, thinking how odd it felt, like I'm securing some exclusive restaurant reservation. But after my procedure was neatly scheduled, all I had to do was wait for the biopsy results and uh, return back to Philly the following week. My goodness. So it was really fast. And this was actually, I'm glad that you were on here because most other people, I don't think, have the experience that you had at Shields. I think Shields, um, being at the Will's, Will's Eye Center, it offers a unique opportunity for much more rapid care um, because you're usually you're traveling there to see them. And if you're traveling there, they try to take care of you in as quickly of a time frame as possible or quick of a time frame as possible. So one week basically from diagnosis of you have a melanoma, we need to enucleate to here's your surgery. Um, that's crazy. I thought yeah. I was like, and I was told that I was pretty fast, but um, oh, I think, ahead. too, they considered that I had been misdiagnosed for a year. So with the tube shunt, that probably added a little bit more urgency um, onto my case. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, Lindsay, what about you? Yeah, I, you know, I'm similar to Kristen. I had two weeks exactly from the date of diagnosis to when my nucleation surgery was. And so it was interesting to... <laughs> to have all those appointments of meeting with your oncologist or meeting with my oncologist, meeting with my surgeon and, you know, having conversations with family and friends and colleagues and all of a sudden you're fine. Then the next day you're like, Oh, by the way, two weeks from now I'll be losing my entire eye. (laughs) So a very, very quick turnaround for me as well. 
So I didn't ask this in the last panel, and I should have, but did all of you have a brain MRI with orbits done before your enucleation? So Julian, yes, no. Chris, or Lindsay says yes. No, no. Kristen says no. Julie says no. I was a yes. I had a brain MRI. It was like an essential. You have to have this MRI done before we do anything because they wanted to check for like if, if my tumor had extended anywhere else. Um, so that's interesting. I'm just, I was just was curious, like, is it commonplace to have that MRI beforehand? Okay. Um, so let's, um, let's talk about, I'm going to kind of change the order of what I, what I did last time a little bit. So did your surgeon sew your eyelids shut when they did the enucleation? Julie, did they sew it shut? And if so, did they give a reason why? They said, yes, they did. I had two stitches. They were knotted quite tightly. Um, cause I did try to get one out and I still have a scar under my eye where the second one, one did eventually break and fall out. The other one did not. And it kind of embedded itself in my skin because it was in for like eight weeks. Um, and I was told that it promoted healing to have its sewn shut. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. So there's that experience. And then Julie, if you could go back, would you do it differently or would you ask for it to be done differently? I would, um, find a way to get that stitch out a lot earlier than eight weeks. That second stitch yeah, for sure. caused me a lot of pain and anguish. And when it came oh, out, I was yeah. like, yes. But when it came out, <laughs> Thank you. the same day it came out was the day I was getting my, um, prosthetic. So it was kind of weird to go from never having it open to having it open with yeah. the conformer, which I do have in now because that's a whole nother story about radiation causing contraction mm -hmm. of my socket and pushing my prosthetic out so that I can't wear it anymore. Um, but I'd oh. never seen the conformer before until the day I got my prosthetic, which was very weird. Yeah, that is bizarre. All right, Kristen, what about you? Um, my lid was sewn shut and I had to keep a bandage over my eye for a week, but I wasn't prepared that my lid would still be stitched up once I removed the bandage. So I was really afraid with what was underneath the bandage and what I was going to face. And I was picturing like a really gory scene, but with the lid sewn shut after removing that bandage, I had a little bit more time to process the bruising, the slow dissolve and reveal of the socket and conformer underneath. Um, so if I had to do it any differently, I just wish I had a little bit more preparation of what removing that bandage felt like and what I would be faced with. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk about that in just a minute, the pressurized patch and any of that. So, um, Lindsay, what about you? Yeah, I also had the bandage for about, I think about five days before I got it removed. Um, and my lid was sewn shut. And my surgeon said it was mostly for peace of mind, knowing that I won't have to worry about the conformer falling out. Um, and, you know, it's just an opportunity to, to not have to worry about if my eyes open or shut, not have to worry about trying to hold something in my eye. She said for healing purposes and just for, for like peace of mind, it's just better to just keep that stitch in there. It was just a single stitch. And it ended up coming out prior to the date to remove it. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was stitched shut. Okay. All right. So let's talk about pressurized patch. Um, 
some people have had a patch that is like actually like pressurized, meaning I think that, and Lindsay, you could probably correct me on this, but I, I think that what happens is that they actually suck some of the air out to like make it stay really good and tight to your face. Um, and I could be wrong. I'm just kind of guessing there, but that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like something that didn't have any more like room for anything. It was just nice and tight and snug to my face. Um, but Julie, did you have a pressurized patch and were you told to wear it for a certain amount of time? Did the doctor take it off? Did you take it off? I did not have one. No, I had, I had a patch. They took it off the next day so I could see the stitches, but no. And the stitches okay. didn't, didn't look bad. Like mm-hmm. I'd say, I'd tell people, I'm going to send you a picture of my eye and they go, no, please don't. And then they go, oh, it doesn't look that bad. <laughs> It just looked like I, I had my <laughs> eyes closed and it looked like I had extra black, long eyelashes. So there you go. Um, Kristen, what about you? You said you had the patch on for, did you have it on for the whole week? Yeah, I left it on for the full week. Um, it kind of covered the, the full left side of my face. Um, it, I wouldn't say it was pressurized. It's just more of a bandage. And it was kind of a psychological Thing and comfort to me where I knew I was experiencing monocular vision, but since I had this weight of a patch, it just felt like I had an eye patch on and I wasn't actually experiencing looking through one eye. My other eye was just covered. So I actually found a lot of comfort with the bandage and it was really hard to like remove it and kind of feel that realization. Um, but I did leave it on the full week for healing. Yeah, I can relate to that, to the whole, like, I mean, I, I wanted the patch off because it started to get uncomfortable, but when I took it off and had to confront, like, the reality that my eye was now gone, even though, like, I've since learned my eye was necrotic, like, not just, there were there were lots of things, but it was necrotic, it was dying, and so it had to come out regardless, but to really confront that reality of, you know, like you said, Kristen, of seeing that it is actually gone was, it was a little bit more than I felt prepared for initially. So I was, I was also glad that mine was sewn shut for at least a few days. Um, okay. So Lindsay, you had a patch on, you said for five days and did you feel like it was pressurized or did they tell you? Nope. It wasn't, it wasn't pressurized. It was, it put pressure on my eye because of how thick the, the spot that covered my eye was. And then it was just like taped over the full, um, side of my face, but it wasn't like like actively pressurized, I guess. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that was probably the grossest part of all of it for me because my surgeon was like, well, it's probably going to get kind of goopy. And if it does just leave it on and put more tape over it. And that, that to me was really, really gross. What was interesting though, is Kristen, to your point, it, there was a certain amount of comfort that came with, oh, nothing's wrong. Nothing's changed. I just have one eye covered. Um, and so that week with the patch on, I think was a necessary transition into monovision and mm-hmm. necessary transition into the understanding that, oh, I, I actually am missing my eye. So I agree wholeheartedly with the comfort piece. Yeah. Um, so let's talk then a little bit about, okay, actual immediate aftermath. Um, let's talk about pain management. Let's talk about nausea. Some of the things that, you know, I think most of us are probably told to expect going into it, but let's just talk about our different experiences. Um, so my main, my main question is, you know, what was, what was your level of pain the first, maybe within the first five days? Um, and did you have pain reliever and then, um, and did you feel nauseous? That would be another one. 
Um, so Julie, you're up first. Okay, so, um, I, so when I had the radioactive plaque, I was taking like oxycodone or something, and it made me nauseous. So unknown, unbeknownst to me, they put on my chart that I was allergic to that. So they gave me tramadol, which did absolutely nothing. So um, they said, well, Tylenol, extra strength Tylenol will work just as well. So I started taking extra strength Tylenol. Um, I was nauseated. I didn't eat a lot. Um, my sister came and stayed with me um, for, from New Orleans. And I, I just, I wasn't eating a lot. I wasn't drinking a lot just because the first probably two or three days it hurt. And then after that, I didn't necessarily need the, the Tylenol anymore. Um, but because I wasn't eating and drinking, I ended up in the hospital with low potassium levels. Um, and I was, it gave me PVCs or premature ventricular contractions. So I laid in the hospital with a four hour drip of potassium. Um, so now at when I, and that, so that was, that is from the enucleation, that's correct. Um, but the recovery from the enucleation in my opinion, was a lot easier than the recovery from the radioactive plaque because, you know, I could still see after radioactive plaque, but I had double vision and everything was further away out of that eye. So the recovery from a nucleation, um, both pain-wise, because you don't have something sewn to your eye for seven days, um, you don't have two surgeries, you just have one, um, and the fact that I can now see, uh, because ever since I had the um, transpupillary thermal therapy in, July, in June of 2019, I lost basically all of my vision except for a tiny sliver at the top. And it was, it was so I had a tiny sliver at the top in a viewpoint over here, and then what I could see out of my other eye over here. Um, and then also... Um, the, um, everything was further away in that eye. So I would usually patch that eye anyway. So to not have the vision in that eye was a great improvement to me. So I was joyous that I could no longer see out of the, this side of my face because the, it was Yeah, no the distorted there. vision for sure. Yes. All right. Well, just so you know, Julie, and don't stress about it. It's fine. Um, but your video did go down and we can hear you fine, but okay. it just says your video will come back when your internet improves. So don't go anywhere. It'll be fine. It'll either fix itself or it won't, okay. but either way we can still hear you. Oh, now I can see you again. <laughs> Hello. Um, all right. So Kristen, <laughs> talk to us a little about your experience and you were, you were in Philly and how long were you in Philly? I guess afterwards, um, I know you live on the East Coast, so that probably makes it a little bit easier for traveling to Philly, but on some level, still traveling. Yeah, so I got to Philly um, and was told that I could either fly back to Chicago or drive. They've sent people back on the plane that same day. Um, I knew I would probably need some recovery time, so we ended up leaving just after the procedure. Um, when I woke up from the procedure, I was definitely like tired and nauseous. I remember feeling like I was thrown out on the road because <laughs> they just packed me up and got me dressed and sent me to my parents. But all I wanted to do was like lay in that hospital bed a little bit longer. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I, they gave me Tylenol for the pain and Zofran for nausea. Um, I would say mostly I was super nauseous and most of that probably had to do with the car ride, 12 hour car ride back the day after. Um, but I'd much rather have driven than taken a plane. Cause I think the sight of being in that state around strangers would have just been very overwhelming for me, especially feeling nauseous. So if anyone is traveling for the procedure, I would recommend a car ride, even though it is a little bit longer. Um, you just come out of that procedure emotional and spent, and it's nice to just kind of be in the comfort of your own space, even if that means a long ride ahead. Or also skipping, like, taking a day just to like stay in the not necessarily hospital but in the hotel maybe before you take yeah. that long car drive no, yeah true. um and then Kristen, did you say did you have pain reliever that was prescribed or were you just given tylenol and ibuprofen or you know i guess told to take tylenol and ibuprofen yeah just tylenol um like a higher dose of tylenol um and then later i got a prescription for the zofran for nausea um, I remember thinking I deserved something a lot larger for pain tolerance because it was such a crazy procedure. Um, I, like I was prescribed something even higher for like my wisdom teeth remover. And I'm like, this is an eyeball. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, it's amazing what your body can tolerate. Um, yeah. It's not comfortable by any means, but it's it's nice to relieve with Tylenol for sure. Okay. All right, Lindsay, what about you? Yeah, so my my appointment was scheduled for the morning, and so my husband and I went to the surgery center. And when I tell people that it was an outpatient procedure, that I got to go home the same day, they're like, what? <laughs> they, they can't really comprehend that. But these days, people get total hips in a day and can go home. So uh, it's not, not like that by any means. But um, I remember oh, my poor husband. He's a saint. I remember waking up after my procedure, like the last things I remember before going under anesthesia were the the ceiling tiles as they were kind of pushing me down the hallway. Um, and my sister had given me the advice, you know, you'll come out of anesthesia how you go into it emotionally. So my husband t- told me jokes before I went under anesthesia and he was really, you know, adamant about making sure that I went into this procedure in like a ha- as happy a mental and emotional state as you can be when you're about to get your eye removed. Um, And I remember laughing a lot before the surgery. Um, I did not come out of the surgery laughing. (laughs) I came out of it like I had been hit by a bus. Um, I remember really having to use the bathroom. And I remember him gingerly holding my elbow and walking really slowly. And I looked at him and I said, walk normal. (laughs) Poor thing. And so, you know, it was just an... um, a really hard post-surgery time. I agree with you. I couldn't imagine um, taking an airplane anywhere same day. Um, I hope that's never someone's experience. It was really nice to be in my own car, um, even though the car ride wasn't awesome. But it was nice to just have familiar smells right after the surgery. Um, And then, you know, getting home. I was prescribed Oxy. Kristen, I'm sorry. I I wish I could have shared it with you. Because I was prescribed oxy for when it got really, really intense, and then ibuprofen in between or Tylenol in between. So I, the the pain with with that sort of cocktail of options seemed fairly manageable for the first three days, um, and then after the third day, it just felt a little bit more normal. 
but um, a lot of, you know, I got a, a wedge pillow to make sure I slept more upright and um, just was, I didn't have my kids at home the first night uh, that I got home. And so it was nice to just have that, that added time, that extra time to, to rest and recover. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point too. I, I think you were the one who told me like, if someone can take your kids like for the night, just when you first get home, yeah. that can make all the difference. And I, for the life of me, I don't remember actually. Did our kids, <laughs> Danny, were, were our kids home the first night after my inoculation or did they go to Susie's? I guess, you know, I don't even remember. I feel like one of our kids might've gotten <laughs> sick and they ended up being home. Um, I think that was what happened is that we were going to let them go somewhere, but then Josh or someone got sick. And so they were all home, but they did like, I mean, I was really just very isolated and having that time, like in my room to just not have the extra noises. Like it was like extra noise, extra light, extra movement. Like all of those things contributed to a headache or nausea or like any of the, the different mm-hmm. things. But let's talk a little bit more about aftercare tips. Like Lindsay, you mentioned the wedge pillow. I slept on a wedge pillow. I still sleep on one sometimes even like six weeks later, because sometimes the pressure just kind of builds up laying more flat. And so I like sleeping more elevated sometimes just to kind of give my break, my body a break. Um, Julie, were you given any recommendations or did you find anything that helped like just kind of by nature of trial and error, um, for after your surgery to help with recovery? Nothing specific that I can think of. Um, I mean, I'll say it again, the radioactive plaque, and the recovery were was months, whereas I feel like the recovery from the nucleation, where I felt mostly normal, was more weeks. And I don't mean like one or two weeks, like, you know, maybe like five or six weeks I felt better, whereas from the plaque, it was months before I felt, before my eye felt better. Um, so it's, it's kind of weird, and everybody's experience may be different with that. But I don't, I'm sure I probably slept laying, you know, with, I do, I can elevate my bed, laying with the bed elevated. Um, And I did sleep a lot, but, you know, so I I can't think of anything else specific that I did post-nucleation. All right, Kristen, did you have any instructions given or things that you found that were helpful that just kind of ended up being things you'd tell other other people? (laughs) Um, I mean, bed rest was really important for me. I know that's a simple one. Um, but I remember my parents wanting me to move around a little bit and it was just really overwhelming. Um, the monovision was really disorienting for me. So just being in the dark and laying down was like healing in itself. Um, I was just really light sensitive. Um, I would also say like, try not to like use your phone too much because you're going to be like reading and using your eye and still the muscles from the nucleation are going to be moving with it. So even if you get an outpour of messages from loved ones, like give yourself a break. Don't feel like you have to write and read every single message that comes in. Um, You definitely deserve that break. No, for sure. That's a good point. The visual overwhelm uh, can take time. It, It just takes time. I think everyone's different. For getting used to it. I don't really feel like, I don't really feel like I, I expected that it was going to take some time, but I did not anticipate feeling as nauseous and disoriented because I had, I had been monovision. Like my, my plaque took my vision 
And so I didn't have sight. I had already done the whole feel nauseous and walk around and feel super disoriented for months after plaque. I was like, maybe I get a, a clean, you know, a clean slate. I don't have to do that anymore. No, I, I still had about a week of like adjusting just because the muscles physically being cut can, is, is actually my, my surgeon explained that it's the muscles getting cut that causes the nausea, not necessarily the visual stimulation. It's, it's the physical cutting of the muscles that causes that nausea side effect. It's very bizarre. Like, okay. Um, okay, Lindsay, you're up. Yeah, the, the, I'm glad you brought up the tracking, the eye tracking, Kristen, because I think that was the, the hardest part or the most painful part for me the first couple of weeks post-surgery was just understanding that, you know, when my, when my remaining eye moves, so will the, the implant and the muscles that are now attached to the implant are freshly cut. <laughs> There's a lot of pain um, that can come with that. So I learned really quickly that my cell phone was not going to be my friend for a few days. TV wasn't going to be my friend. It's amazing how many times your eyes move when you're trying to follow a TV show even. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely uh, a, a wake-up call, a very quick learning that I had. Um, the wedge pillow was really important for me. And rest, I think, was the most important thing in just letting my body heal and letting my brain heal, um, coming to terms with new reality. Um, so yep. Resting in a dark room on a wedge pillow. My, my husband, like I said, is a saint. So he, you know, brought meals and made sure that I had everything that I need. Um, but that was pretty key for, for recovery for me. Oh, that's, that's so good. So good to hear. Um, like I think that just the different things that we all do to support ourselves or that we found were helpful, I think is important because you just, we never know, like somebody might hear this and, and be able to do something that ends up making a really big difference in their pain management or things like that. Um, if you guys had to put a day, like roughly what day would you say post-op, did you notice like a significant drop off in pain as far as like it went from whatever it was before to, whoa, like it's far better and it's improved drastically and it kind of feels like it was overnight. Um, I feel like for me, it was about day five, like that something like maybe day five or six, it was like suddenly it just didn't hurt as much. And I was like, whoa, like that was cool. Um, Julie, what about you? Did you notice a significant drop off? Well, for sure, there was there was one drop off where oh, everybody's, you know, am I there? Can you hear me now? Yes, you're good. Okay. So I, I would think there was there was two drop-offs. There was a first one that that first day I could not, like, open my eye because if I open this eye, I'm like, this eye hurts so much. So that first day was probably the worst. So day one and two were the worst, and then it dropped off. And then at about, about a week, then I'm kind of like, hey, it doesn't hurt anymore, and I stopped taking the Tylenol. So... There was a very painful two-day period and then a drop-off after about a week. Okay. And after that week, did you end up ever really feeling like you had a need? Like before, I know you ended up having orbital radiation, so let's you know talk before that. But um, did you ever end up feeling like you needed pain reliever kind of in the weeks two, three, four, five, just kind of off and on? Not really, no. No? Okay. No, that's, that's just good to know. Um, Kristen, um, what about you? What was your drop off of like noticing when the pain got better? 
Um, I think the physical pain started to relieve, like you said, around day five. Uh, for me, that was around, I was catching up to the point when I was going to remove the patch. So it felt like I was, I acknowledged all the physical pain and then was moving on to emotional pain. So, um, yeah, it was nice not to deal with all of that, like at once. Simultaneously, for sure. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. All right, Lindsay. Yeah, mine was at roughly the five-day mark, too, and I don't know if it was necessarily because my brain was like, okay, I have no more oxy left to cover up the, the really bad stuff. I have to be done feeling <laughs> That's pain That's when now. it ran I out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe there was a an emotional or a mental thing at play there, but yeah, day five was definitely a dramatic turn for the better in terms of pain. And um, Christian, Lindsay, did either of you end up kind of off and on? you know, in the coming weeks before you were fit for a prosthetic, did you end up having kind of waves of like, did you have any, anything that would be more achy or maybe you'd get a headache or just things like that, that you could attribute to post-nucleation that you then would take some pain reliever for? I just think it's important to acknowledge that everyone is going to be different and that there's really no shame if you have pain off and on for weeks. Yeah. I remember the first time I took a drive post-surgery, um, you know, trying to look over my shoulder, not trusting the mirrors <laughs> because I have no peripheral vision and just kind of re- reorienting myself to what it's like to be a driver on a road with other people around me. And I, that was, that was a memorable night for me because I did have a lot, like a pretty bad headache um, just yeah. because of all the muscle movement. No, I relate to that for um, sure. But that's the only thing that I can really recall. Okay. Yeah, I think that's important just to recognize that there's going to be different things, different activities you might do that that may kind of cause it a little bit more of a, an inflammation or or just the muscles get really tired and achy. Um, I know that the more that I've done, like visually, like driving, going places, looking at, you know, watching TV, any of those kinds of things have contributed to just extra muscular stress over here. Um, all right. So I'm trying to think, I had something else I wanted to ask and now it's a, it's, it's gone. It's gone. Okay, Kristen, so did you have um, any oh yeah, residual Kristen, pain? Um, yeah, I was just going to jump in. Like, Lindsay, like, the tracking was really tough. Um, so for me, a big change was when I came back from the two weeks I took off work and sat in front of my laptop for full days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have really understanding coworkers. So I would message them and be like, I really need, like, a visual break. <laughs> and so I would just say, like, their transition back to – your new normal is tough and you're going to find challenges along the way. Um, and yeah, it definitely surprises you. No, that totally makes sense. Um, so Julie, Kristen, Lindsay, um, did you guys, did you guys have a, a, I guess a, a sense of nervousness? I think you kind of alluded to this about driving or, you know, kind of doing some of these other activities as you were adjusting to monocular vision Um, I think Julie, you alluded to the fact that it was a little bit easier in some ways because you no longer had to deal with some of the old residual vision from your, your eye. Um, but did you have any anxiety or fear around driving again that you had to confront on and have you found anything helpful? Like, did you end up getting a different car? Do you have sensors on your car? Do you always drive with a person or do you just never drive? Like (laughs) all of the things. So I, I, after the TTT in June of 2019, I no longer drove at night because I, you know, the, the lack of, um, you know, depth perception was gone. So all of my changes happened back, back that long ago. 
So um, more recently, however, you know, once I no longer had what was happening over here, it was easier to drive because I didn't have that visual distraction of distorted vision in this eye. Um, I did get a new car. The car I had, I had been driving or the cars I had been driving until that time, um, not out of town, but locally to work were, um, both old Volkswagen Beetles that have a 66 and a 67. There's only one, there's one mirror here and there's a mirror here. There's no passenger side mirror, but it's got a lot of, you know, if you can turn your head a 180 degrees, you can see everywhere because it's got lots of windows, but it has no, um, you know, it doesn't tell you when someone's in your blind spot. So I now have a Toyota CHR, which is a small car um, that has the radar in the front for when you're driving with your cruise control on. Um, it has the blind spots. Um, it will, it tells you to stop if you think the car, if it, if it thinks you're getting too close to the car in front of you. So having those things makes me more comfortable. Plus it keeps you in, you can tell it to center me in the road. And as long as it can see the stripes on both sides, it will center you. So I will drive myself. I've driven myself to Memphis, which is three and a half hours to New Orleans, which is three and a half hours. I even drove myself to Nashville, um, for the Acura Insight, um, symposium that was a few months yeah, ago. I believe. Yes. So, um, Very cool. no, the only thing awesome. is I, I have to make sure that I only drive during the day. However, so all the treatments I've started having like chem track and stuff, because I don't know what the reaction is going to be afterwards. Um, I do not drive myself. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Kristen, what about you? Um, so I'll start with, I don't own a car living in Chicago. <laughs> Um, so it hasn't been a big inconvenience for me not to be driving. Um, but I did have fear of starting to drive when I went back out to the burbs to, um, spend time with family just for short runs or shopping, things like that. It took me a while, um, to be comfortable to like, just take those first steps. Um, so it's definitely an adjustment. And I will say like to this day, I think it's going to be an emergency case only if I drive in the city here. <laughs> Only because there's so many, like, walkers and bikers, things that happen in your peripherals that you're just not mm -hmm. as attuned to in monovision. Um, so just for, like, the safety of others, I definitely prefer not to drive in the city. <laughs> um, but I'll also say, like, on longer trips, too, if there are other drivers, I always try to let them volunteer first for driving. Um just for safety alone. I mean, they have two eyes. I, I don't, I'm very aware of that. <laughs> um, there are other things um, that I would say too that kind of got me nervous about monovision that I would just add. Um, I was at a, like a family event where everyone was playing knockout. And I remember thinking like, I don't know if I'm going to make this basket or if I'm going to be like several feet off. <laughs> and so it took me a while to build up confidence, even for that, like trying to like make a basket in front of other people. And I know that sounds silly, but it's definitely an adjustment. No, I don't think it's silly at all. Um, I think just, yeah, like you said, there's a lot to adjust with. Like you, you don't realize until you only have one seeing eye, how much your eyes used to do together that now one has to like carry the load and it's a lot. Um, Lindsay, what about you? 
Yeah, Kristen, thank you for sharing that. I found it really challenging to pour liquids into receptacles. <laughs> Just like pouring myself a cup of coffee was really hard. So I get your basketball story and just not not having that confidence right away um, to do things that you're just used to doing. Um, but back to the driving conversation, it's still really nerve-wracking to drive at night. Um, just because with monovision, oncoming headlights kind of look have this like strobe effect um, in my in my one remaining eye, and especially with all the snow that we have here in Minnesota, the headlights reflecting off of the snow and then the streetlights, and it's just a lot of visual stimulation that can get really overwhelming. Um, I still to I mean I drive a big mom van because I've got three kids. Um, the passenger side mirror is cracked <laughs> because I've hit the garage, backing out of the garage so many times I that it's like not even worth fixing at this point. Um, so uh, it's kind of interesting. But, you know, something that I don't know that I'll ever do is trust the rear view mirror on my passion, passenger side. Mm. I always have to turn my whole so – that, so that my good eye has, has you know – is aware of what's coming next to me and what's going on next to me. And so my husband makes fun of me all the time. He's like, why do you always turn around? But it's like, unless I see it with my good eye, I don't, I don't trust it for some reason. So that's a big part of, of my new normal. And is it, so is it your right um, eye? Um, I'm trying to remember. Is it your right eye? Yep. My right eye is. Okay. Yeah. It's, we have the same eye that is, that is no longer seen. What about you guys, Kristen, Julie, um, which eye is affected? Oh, Julie. Uh, my left. Okay, so your left, and then Julie. My my left. Okay, well, two and two. 50-50. I guess that's really what it is. It's like a 50-50 chance. It'll be so, one so eye that's or why the other. So that's why new car, it's helpful to have the mirrors that then tell you yeah. there's something in your blind spot. But I will still I will do the say same it thing is helpful. And, turn, and turn around and look for it. But it is. it just gives me a comfort level where I'm not anxious and white knuckled while I'm driving. Yeah. I mean, I'm still so, a little I'll, bit more I'll, anxious and kn- white knuckled, but, but it's yeah. better with the sensors. I wanted, to, the sensors I wanted to add something. I wanted to add something, um, adding on to Kristen's comment about playing games. Um, I was in Ohio for a meeting and we were playing cornhole where you got to throw that beanbag thing across the way. And so I had enough eye patches with me that our entire team played with one eye. And um, I did pretty well, considering I only had one eye. And they realized they realized how much of a challenge it was um, to only be able to see with one eye. Um, so it's that's an interesting challenge to do with some people is just have them also wear an eye patch and and then try to do some of the things they do every day, like press the button on the microwave, you know, those kind of things. No, I think that makes sense. Um, so just for the sake of time, Lindsay, I'm going to actually swap our order so you can go first on the last question, just because we are getting pretty close to that mark. Um, so this is our final question of the day and for the panel. And then I think we'll actually do maybe another one where anyone who would like to will talk about kind of the experience of having a prosthetic made and seeing that made. If I can bring an ocularist on, I would love to do that. That would be really cool. Um, but how soon after nucleation did you end up uh, meeting with the ocularist and then getting fit for your prosthetic? So we're going to have Lindsay yeah, go first. Yeah, so Sorry. my, my, that's okay. My surgery was June 1st and I met with my ocularist 
July 24th for my initial appointment to make the mold. And it was a series of three appointments over three days where I made the mold, went in to have the eyeball hand painted. And that was one part that I, I wasn't expecting was to just sit there while they painted the eye instead of just have them take a picture and then <laughs> paint based on the picture. But um, what my oculus said, and awesome, awesome guy, um, what he said was lighting matters and the only way to get a true... Um, a true representation of your good eye is to paint it in real time. And so I thought that was really cool. But it was, yeah, almost two months exactly from surgery to when I actually got my prosthetic eye. Okay. Love it. Um, do you wish you had waited longer or do you feel like that was just enough time? Like as far as letting your socket heal? No. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good time. I met with my surgeon to make sure that the healing was looking good prior to getting it. So everyone kind of signed off on what it looked like and how ready I was for awesome. the prosthetic. Love it. Whoops, I muted myself. Okay, so Kristen, what about you? Um, time frame, timeline, and I know yours. You can you can talk a little more about kind of your unique situation because I know it was it's been a little up and down for you. Yeah, so um, I had my eye nucleated in January. Um, in March, I was able to meet with the ocularist and um, have the hand painting experience of her, um, you know, preparing my custom prosthetic. Um, and in the meantime, I was able to wear a temporary prosthetic um, until that one was ready. And it was a weird experience because it was like an already made eye in a I didn't want to ask questions where it came from, but <laughs> I thought it was a little weird. <laughs> um, but because it wasn't like fit to me and it was a temporary prosthetic, um, it ended up not sitting in my socket correctly. So my eye looked askew. Um, and so it actually was really disappointing to me to bring that one home, even though it wasn't what I was going to end up wear. It was frustrating because it just didn't look like my face and the eye line wasn't direct and, um, I knew I was going to have my custom one later, but once I did receive the custom one in April, it was like a huge relief. I felt like I finally saw my face again after months, um, and it was really emotional. Then in May, I had radiation done to the orbit uh, to be like precautionary because of that tube shunt that I had in, and they just kind of wanted to zap the space, um, and that changed my socket dramatically. I ended up getting a rebuild for my prosthetic in August and they used the second um, iris that they had painted and I felt like that one didn't match the color they originally painted so they ended up repainting again in November and then I think I finally got my final prosthetic in February of last year. So I would say like the whole prosthetic journey for me was about a year. Um, I would ask your ocularist about any kind of changes that you want made along the way. Apparently, like a lot of them are covered with insurance within a certain time frame. So um, that's definitely a good question to ask your ocularist. Like how many rebuilds could you get if you're not happy with the color? Is that covered? Um, mm. Just so you can be picky about it. It's something you're going to be living with. So oh, that's honestly, that's really good information because I think so many times people would go into this and be like, well, you gave it to me. I guess I have to be good with it. Like, but to realize that because you're, you're paying for this, you get to dictate, is it good enough? And if it's not, tell someone, because like you said, you're living with this, you deserve for it to be the best. Um, and to be able to be honest and say, no, this doesn't look quite right. This looks off. 
Um, okay, Julie, you are up. Okay, so I had it, it, the nucleation on September 28th. Um, I went to Dr. Wilson, had that last stitch taken out. Um, so then I could see the conformer. Then the next day I went to the ocularist and got my new eye. He made it, he basically sets up an appointment day long where you go there in the morning and then, you know, you go away for lunch and you come back, he's got more done and he's, he's painting it, um, while you're sitting there looking at your other eye and, and then he, you take another break and then by the time, by the time you leave, you have a prosthetic that's in your eye. And so then he wants you to wear that for like five or six weeks and then come back and get it tweaked a little bit to kind of, you know, realign and anything. So I had that done in November and then probably went back in, in December or January and everything was perfect until I had um, radiation to my orbital. Sounded like Kristen, something similar there. And um, just last weekend, I woke up and my eye will no longer fit in my in my socket. And of course, I get upset, you know, because now it's been so long. I've now had this eye since November 2021, um, and here it is, February 2023. And I cannot put, I mean, I tried, I tried really hard to, I, I mean, to get it in there. And it was just not fitting um, because my orbital has shrunk from the radiation. Um, and that's because when I had my pathology, the pathologist said there was the potential that the tumor invaded the meninges. But there's no tumor there. But in talking to Dr. Lally with Shields and Shields and talking to Dr. Sato out of Philly, they recommended radiation to the orbital. Um, Dr. Wilson did not. Um, he said, I'd rather see a tumor first. And I'm thinking, well, if we can proactively radiate the area, I'd prefer to do that. Um, so Dr. Shi, while I was having my brain tumors radiated, um, I had four spots in my brain radiated, um, and then the orbital. And the fact that I have brain metastasis and spinal metastasis in my mind is proof that I did have extraocular extension into my cerebral spinal fluid, um, as the pathology said was possible. Because if it wouldn't have happened, how else would it get there? Um, mm, yeah, so well, it's, it's really know, it's, interesting, like how different it can be. Yeah. So most people, you know, I have it to my liver, but you know, there's not a lot of people with central nervous system metastasis. Um, so now, you know, I've got a, I have leptomeningeal floating around everywhere in my cerebral spinal fluid. So my brain is bathed in it. My spine is bathed in it. Um, and I've had radiation to all those areas and currently it's stable. Um, but the fact that, you know, if I possibly had that orbital radiation earlier, maybe it wouldn't have gone to those other places. But, but now it's just, you know, dealing with the fact that I have to have an eye that has my conformer in because the conformer would fit, but my, my prosthetic is like way too big right now. Well, I mean, so I guess I personally hope to go you're get able to get a new refitted. prosthetic. Yeah. 
Um, it's either going to be well, a new one or cut the cut the other one down. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm not sure big, how what insurance is going to think about. Yeah, it's. I'm not sure what they the get to just do to what you tell one. them that you need. That's that's my two cents. I think insurance gets to just do what we tell them we need. Um, well, okay, as oh, we that, pop that's off, that's not and the way my insurance leave, works. <laughs> Oh, no, I know. That would be nice. Um, as yeah. we hop off, um, Lindsay, I know you have to go for a meeting pretty quick, but do you want to say anything in closing, I guess, um, just about your experience or what you would recommend to anyone? Yeah. Um, first, I want to say thank you for hosting these panels or the series of panels because they hopefully um, it will be beneficial for people who are about to undergo a nucleation, give them ideas on how to prepare. Um it's hard to prepare mentally and emotionally for something like this, but there are little things that you can do to help along the way, and hopefully we laid some of those things out for you. Um, I do want to mention, just in terms of working with your ocularist on your on your prosthesis, I would be shocked if you met an ocularist who wasn't willing to make an adjustment if you felt like it wasn't quite right. Um, so don't feel like you have to just sit back and say, oh, this is good enough, I guess. I would you know, encourage people to go back. I think I've had mine adjusted twice um, because the first time I felt like it was looking this way. The second time I felt like it was looking this way. And so each time I was in, I was met with compassion and like, this is, this is your new eye. We want to make it right for you. So I would just encourage people to, um, to feel confident and comfortable asking uh, for adjustments if needed. I love that. Um, Kristen, what about you? What would you say in closing? Um, I have two kind of thoughts for closing. Uh, one is I've kind of talked about the emotional journey of losing your eye. Um, and Janae, I've t talked to you about this attitude I had going into it. Um, it was kind of a quick thing that was put on my plate, but I decided that a way I was going to grieve it was to soak in like some last moments with my eye. Also, like almost in like in a Marie Kondo aspect of like, thank you for what you've given me and goodbye, <laughs> like how she talks about. So I had some nice moments thinking back of, you know, looking at my dog before I got on the road to Philly with just my left eye and like letting my left eye soak in some moments on the road just by itself. And I think like anything you can do to kind of put some joy around you in the experience is beneficial. Um, and I think humor, secondly, I'll say humor is a, a big part of this journey. Um, if you miss the basketball hoop just laugh it off and it's really kind of fun to just you know dip out on some of those things because you can and um <laughs> a lot of like it's kind of like not a lot of people around you will know how to talk about it either because you know we see eye loss in like a lot of horror films and things like that and it's kind of presented as this like scary gory thing um but I've found that like when I remove my prosthetic and let someone hold on to it in like a tissue and they can kind of see the art detail that was hand painted into it and see the beauty of it that makes it feel less monteresque and more of an artwork and more of a beautiful part of you and yourself that you get to share um so I would just say try to like ignore all the negative and find the joy and laughter out of it oh, I love that um Julie, what about you? It's hard to go after you, you two guys. Those were great. Um, one thing I did do is I had a friend who's a photographer um, say, take some pictures of me with, with both of my natural eyes. And so I did it with regular makeup on, 
regular clothes. And then I did a goth version where I had a black cat and I had to make my eyes up all, you know, and stuff. Um, so, it, it, which is very me, you know, bats and all that kind of stuff. Ozzy, I have Ozzy on my, well, I can't show you because it's not there, but um, wrong eye, this eye, because it says Ozzy on the bottom of it. And now it's kind of sticking out because, you know, my it doesn't fit, but that's beside the point. So doing that is kind of memorializing that eye because it's gone. You know, they wouldn't let me keep it. Um, <laughs> I, I have a picture my, my dad gave me. Um, of of him when he used to do photography when I was so like in the early 70s and it's just my left eye and so I mean I can't that's kind of like my you know here's my left eye my dad took a picture of it of it you know 1971 little knowing it would be gone many years later um and the other thing is that for someone who is getting ready to go through a nucleation same thing has gone through plaque the fear of what's to come with that surgery in my mind is so much greater than when it actually happens. So when I had plaque, when I had a nucleation, waking up from that surgery, it's like this relief is, and it's lifted off your shoulders. Um, so it, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. The anxiety beforehand is much worse than the actual surgery and recovery itself is what I found. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point for sure. Um, the buildup, the mental, emotional buildup that we have ahead of it. And it was, I mean, it's, it's not to write those things off. You know, they, they are real experiences, whether, whether it was, you know, merited or not, we experience it the way that we experience it. Um, I'm hoping, okay, Kristen's back. Everybody's moving again. <laughs> it just froze for a hot second. Um, okay. Well, I would just add to what you guys said as well. And Kristen, I think you are the one who kind of gave me this idea. Um, and I don't remember if it was what you had said to do, or if I just kind of took my own spin on it, but I think you had just said, you know, I found it really helpful to like find simple ways to say goodbye to my eye. And for me, at least like in some ways I had already said goodbye to my eye because I hadn't been able to see for two years prior to a nucleation plus, you know, more than two years really. And so in some ways I had already grieved the loss of this eye because I grieved the loss of sight, but that losing the physical part of yourself was something I had yet to really accept. And I ended up, um, after Kristen had talked to me on Facebook, um, I ended up writing a letter to my eye, just kind of thanking it for all of the things that I had seen, all of the things that both of my eyes had experienced together. Um, and then that combined with some like other, you know, just various different letters that I'd written. I actually burned them the night before my surgery out in a vase, <laughs> made a little mini bonfire. It was great, but it was really like, it was very cathartic for me to do that. Um, and then going into my surgery, I actually, and, and I think Kristen or not Kristen, well, maybe, maybe Kristen did, but I know Lindsay did this because I saw the picture and it's painted on your arm. Um, you had an, a picture taken of your eye after it was removed. I also got a picture taken of my eye, but, uh, I was not smart and didn't ask them to wash it off first because uh, apparently you have to give that direction at my hospital. <laughs> so mine looks like a pomegranate. It doesn't look like an eyeball. Lindsay's looks like an eyeball. If you want to go check out some of her TikTok videos, they're great. Um, <laughs> But if you want a picture, didn't ask for it to be washed. That's interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, they didn't wash mine. It was it was not washed. Um, but if you want a picture after surgery, if that's something that is interesting to you, or if you feel like you just if you know like like Julie, you didn't get to keep it, but you know maybe you could keep a picture if you want to keep something. I did. Then um, I did ask them for a you, picture. I did, and they uh -huh. they they sent it to me. Yeah. 
Well, yes. Yeah, see, so, and like yes. some of them will say yes. Some of them will say no. I guess I figured it's not going to hurt to ask, right? Um, Kristen, did Dr. Shields take a picture? I'm curious. How does she operate? <laughs> um, honestly, I think that would have been too much for me. I didn't even ask, but everyone has <laughs> no. their own level. <laughs> no, it's all good. Yeah. So just like ask for the things that you need, like ahead of anesthesia, ask for the things you need ahead of the appointments. I mean, I think it really, it comes down to, especially with a rare disease, we have to advocate for ourselves. And I think all of you guys are really just beautiful examples of that. You all have advocated for yourselves in different ways and unique ways. Um, so thank you for being here. Just everyone who's listening, we hope this is helpful and um, pass it on to a friend who you know, or someone else that you meet, who's going to be preparing for a nucleation. Hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.